In his book, uh, Run with the Horses, Eugene Peterson tells a story, uh, one of many stories that he tells from his interactions with simply being in a contemplative place, interacting with nature. Uh, and one of these times when he was praying and, and, uh, and observing the birds, he, he noticed three young birds, three young swallows, that had not yet given flight. And they were sitting, uh, as it were, in a row on a branch that was overlooking a lake. At some point along the way, an adult bird, their parent, flew next to uh, the birds and began to scooch its way over to the end of the branch. And all three of these, these young swallows could do nothing else except scooch closer and closer to the edge of the branch. And of course, the, the design of the adult bird was to scooch them for the first time off of the branch and get them to... To, to open up their wings, none of them really wanting to, all of them kind of grasping the, uh, the branch with their talons. The first one fl- uh, flies off the branch and, and falls, falls towards the river. And at some point in between the branch and the river, its wings open up, begins to fly. The second one, same thing, falls off the branch, begins to fall towards the Towards the, uh, towards the river, and at some point, its wings open up and it flies for the first time. The third one would not be bullied, and so it, uh, it clung to the branch with all of its might, and in fact, turned upside down, so it was upside down on the branch, its talons sort of digging deep into the branch, almost like you could see the, now begin to see the inside of the branch, the talons were holding on so tight, and the parent was unfazed and unfeeling, and begin to peck one by one until the talons slowly released, until the pain, of, uh, the pain of hanging on was greater than the insecurity of letting go. That bird fell from the branch, fell towards the water, and opened up its wings. Flew in freedom. And here's what Eugene Peterson says. Birds have feet and can walk. Birds have talons and can grasp a branch securely. They can walk. They can cling. But flying is their characteristic action. And not until they fly are they living at their best, gracefully and beautifully. Flying is their characteristic action, and flying is what they do best. Now, as sons and daughters of God, Giving is our characteristic action. Giving is what we do best. It is, as Eugene Peterson says, the air into which we have been born and the action that was designed into us at birth. We've been walking for several weeks now um, looking at the generosity of God, what it is, what impact it has on our life, and why it is the freest way to live. We've explored how God invites us always to live into his story of generosity. Not read it as objective observers, but actually enter into the adventure of generosity and live the risk with him and live the joy with him. We've looked at how God is always calling us to move from a place of financial isolation to a place of financial intimacy with him and with his people and with those in need. We've also looked last week, Josh Evans preached on the parable of the talents and talked about how God is calling us off the sidelines of stewardship into, really into finding our stride 
with stewardship. God is setting the pace of generosity, and he is inviting us to join him. Now we're coming to this final sermon in, the, in, in this series, which is highlighting that the generosity of God sets us free. It sets us free and, and allows us to operate in the birthright that we have, which is to be generous. We can grasp, we can walk, we can hold on to that branch, but that is not what we were born to do ultimately. We were born to let go of that branch that we so tightly cling on to of our resources, open up our wings, and operate in freedom. That is our design. Now, today I want to talk about the top four enemies, what I believe are our top four enemies of operating in the generosity of God, of operating in that freedom. The first one is the longest one. The last three are pretty quick. Um, but I, wanted, I want to address what I believe are uh, enemies that threaten to keep us from opening up our wings, uh, that keep us on the branch, and that keep our birthright uh, from operating. Enemy number one. Enemy number one of operating in our freedom. Trusting in the grace of wealth more than the, than the grace of God. When we trust in the grace of wealth more than the grace of God, we will not operate in the freedom that God has designed for us to operate in. Um, now, when I say grace, what do I mean? Grace is kindness from the outside that completes us on the inside. It's kindness from the outside that completes us on the inside. Grace is like a warming center when it's 40 below outside. Something outside of you that completes you, that saves you, Grace is like a fountain of fresh water when you've been at sea in, in salt water and you are dying of thirst. It's kindness from the outside that completes you on the inside. Grace is like a dream that swallows up all of your anxieties and all of your nightmares. Grace rights our wrongs and grace satisfies our hungers and grace calms our anxieties and grace makes us live forever. That's what grace is. And the temptation for us is to replace the word grace with the word money. Whether we're making it or middle-classing it or muddling by, whether we're, we have a lot of resources or almost no resources, we are tempted to trust in wealth, to look upon wealth as ultimately the grace that we need from the outside to complete us on the inside. Um, the rich young ruler in, in Luke 18 that the, the text that's printed in your bulletin, you know, he's a decent guy. He is a decent guy. He's a moral guy. He uh, follows the Ten Commandments. He is morally wealthy as well as financially wealthy. And he comes to Jesus with a very polite question. He says uh, in verse 18, Luke 18, 18, he says this, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? We know from the scope of this passage and from the scope of Luke that really what he's asking is, good teacher, how can I fly while still holding on to this branch? Because I have this really beautiful tree that I found, a really beautiful branch. It's, it's, it's gorgeous. There's leaves everywhere. And I've kind of earned it. You know, I've kind of, I found it, finders keepers. And I love sitting on this branch. It feels great. Now I'm ready to fly. How can I fly and hold on to this branch? Um, and we might look at that and go, you know what? 
what a fool you are. You know, you're, you're so pompous, you're so wealthy, but don't judge this guy because wealth, having wealth tempts you to trust in wealth. And we know this even in our own country because they've done many studies which show that as your income gets higher, the percentage of your charitable giving gets lower. Um, so people who start out in the lowest income bracket give the highest amount of their money away because they, they know, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to give and I'm, I'm not trusting in money to save me um, and so why not give it away? But as income goes up, generally speaking, this is always the case, but generally speaking, the percentage of your giving goes down and down and down. And so the people in the highest income bracket give around 1% away. People in the lowest income bracket give somewhere around 7 or 8% away. And the scriptures teach that it's the percentage that matters. The percentage is what shows where your heart is truly at. So what happens is when we accumulate wealth, we begin to trust it more and more. And we begin to slot in wealth for grace. And we believe, ah, you know what? Money really can solve all my problems. Money can turn my, my nightmares into dreams. Money can give me security or money can give me status. Money really can complete me. It really is tempting. And in America, we are tempted in this way. None of us are immune from it. So um, the rich young ruler and we want to fly while still holding on to the branch. Now, the adult bird has a much different perspective than the swallow. And Jesus has a much different perspective than the rich young ruler. Eventually, he will come alongside the rich young ruler and answer his question, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And here's what Jesus will say. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come Follow me. Essentially what Jesus is saying is you have to release your trust in wealth and you have to take the risk of coming to me and letting me set the terms for your wealth. And you need to let me give you the grace of God. You need to release your trust in the grace of wealth and you need to, get, you need to let me give you the grace of God. Jesus, as it were, he opened up his arms of love. And he says when he called the rich young ruler to renounce his trust in wealth, he said, come to me, come to me, release your, your grip on your money and come to me, receive the grace of God because I am, Jesus said, the fountain of living water and I am the warming center that will, that will save you from the, from the freezing cold and I am kindness from the outside that will complete you on the inside and I am the one who will right your wrongs and I am the one who will satisfy your hunger and I will make you live forever and that is Jesus' offer. I will give you more than you can ask for in this life and in the age to come. I will give you more than you even know what to ask for right now. I am the source of grace. The grace of God is made available right now. Come follow me. Now you might ask, why, why did Jesus tell this guy to sell all that he had and give it to the poor? Nowhere else in the Bible is that instructed of Christians. Um, nowhere else does Jesus even, Jesus interacts with other wealthy people. He doesn't tell them to do that. Why does he tell this man to sell all that he has and give it to the poor? Jesus knows hearts better than anybody. He knows what it will take for someone to receive the grace of God. What we see Jesus doing here is staging what Matt Woodley calls a one-man intervention. If any of you have interacted with a loved one who is an addict, you know that an intervention is necessary, that you have to take drastic measures if if the hold of addiction, of alcoholism, 
of codependency is going to be broken, it has to be drastic. It has to be firm. It has to be severe. But the severity is loving. And Jesus knows, Jesus is pecking away at every last talon of the rich young ruler and saying, you have to, I know what it's going to take for you. Riches has so completely taken over your heart. Riches has so completely become your savior that you have to completely let it go. And so he's pecking away at his talent saying, if you're going to be free, if you're going to come and be with me, if you're going to come follow me, if you're going to receive the grace of God, you have got to completely let go of the grace of wealth. You have to renounce it, and you have to do it now. For many of us, that call will be much less drastic. Even for Zacchaeus, uh, that in, in chapter 19, the, the, the call was much less drastic. He got to keep his house. He got, he got to use some of his wealth and give it away to the poor, um, some of it for um, victims of his own injustice. For different people, it's a different call. But for this man, Jesus wanted him to get drastic. And the response of the rich young ruler is interesting. It's the response that many of us have when God calls us to follow him and exchange trusting in the, in the grace of wealth for the grace of God. And verse 23 says this, But when he heard these things, when the rich young ruler heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. This word sad is better translated as grieved or torn. It's that feeling you have when you want two irreconcilable things. You want your cake, and, but you want to eat it too. You, you want to have two things that can't go together, but man, I want both of them to go together so badly. Can't I just hold on to my wealth and follow you? Can't I have the grace of wealth, but then kind of top it off with the grace of God? Can't I hold on to this beautiful branch and fly? Can't both of those things happen? He's torn. He wants two irreconcilable things. And he goes away sad. He goes away still holding on to the branch. Um, And there's no flight. There's no freedom. There's no generosity. Because he does not receive the grace of God. He trusts too much in the grace of wealth. And he's disillusioned. Um, Now, uh, in the next chapter, we'll see Jesus interacting with a man named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus, at one time, had trusted in the grace of wealth more than the grace of God. He saw it as a way to complete him. So he betrayed his own kin to bring in taxes for the Romans and kept a lot of it for himself in acts of gross injustice. And Zacchaeus had come to the point where he had had it. He had had it with the grace of wealth. He was disillusioned with the grace of wealth. He was ready to let it go. He knew that there was something Uh, richer and deeper that he had to hold on to. And so as Jesus passed through the town, Zacchaeus climbed up a tree and looked eagerly to see Jesus. And as Jesus uh, passed by Zacchaeus, he looked up and and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree and be generous to me. Let me enter your house. Let me enter your life What did Zacchaeus do? He let go of the branch and he flew into the arms of Christ and he was free. And out of his relationship with Christ and out of receiving the grace of Christ, he began operating in incredible generosity, giving fourfold what he had defrauded the poor, even using his house as a party with Jesus. All of a sudden, his resources were were no longer being hoarded. 
They were being distributed. They were being used. They were being marshaled for the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus received the grace of God in Christ, and he was free. Now, wealth is God's. Wealth is not bad. Wealth is part of God's creation. Many of us are called to steward high amounts of wealth, and that's good. But trusting in the grace of wealth, trusting that wealth can be the kindness from the outside that completes you on the inside, that is an enemy of freedom. That is an enemy of freedom. And Jesus stretched out his arms of love on the hard wood of the cross to offer us the grace of God and to heal us from trusting in the grace of wealth. And it's when we trust Jesus more than money when we can be free. It's by trusting Jesus more than wealth to complete us when we can be free to operate in generosity, to give wealth away as God calls us to, to use our resources for the sake of others. So that's enemy number one, and that's the, that's the, the enemy that we're going to spend the longest time looking at. So again, quickly, if we're going to operate in, in the freedom God has for us, we've got to look at these four enemies and deal with them decisively. Enemy number one, trusting in the grace of wealth more than the grace of God. Now, these next three are going to be practical, and they're going to be specific. And so as we walk through them fairly quickly, I want to just invite you to even engage in some self-examination. As we walk through these, what happens to the talons of your heart? Do they, do they cling a little tighter to the branch as a result? Um, watch that. And I invite you actually to invite the Lord in this process of evaluating where you are at with money and with generosity. So the second enemy of operating in our freedom, operating the birthright that God has for us to be generous, is lingering consumer debt. Lingering consumer debt is an enemy of generosity. And I'll tell you why. Um, when your spending outpaces your earning, when, you're, when, when what you're, uh, the money that's leaving you is um, uh, outpacing the money that you are earning, to fill that gap, you've got to take on consumer debt. And there are all kinds of ways that that is encouraged and celebrated in our country. Um, advertisers celebrate it. Um, uh, businesses celebrate it, credit companies uh, celebrate it, because when you get into consumer debt, everybody gets paid except for you. Everybody gets paid except for you. And as, as a result, financially, what it does is it leaves you treading water. When you have consumer debt, and this is different from, from student loans, which have a, um, a much uh, more reasonable um, interest rate, uh, or a mortgage, which has a much more reasonable um, uh, uh, interest rate, and there's a plan in place, and you can make it part of your budget. Consumer debt's different, where the, the, uh, the interest rate is much more aggressive. The terms are not set by you. You gave that up when you took on the debt. And so creditors set the terms. Creditors set the pace. Creditors set the interest rate. And all you can do financially is tread water, try to stay out of even more debt. And so you're paying off this halfway and paying off that halfway, but you're never really operating in freedom. You're never really swimming in the deep end. You're just treading water. You're just surviving. That's what happens when there's just lingering consumer debt that's not dealt with. Um, people who operate in generosity have learned to become ruthless with consumer debt. Ruthless, you treat it not as um, a member of your family, but as an enemy. And you really do go after it. Here's one practical way that you can do that. 
make a list of, of all of your debts that are consumer-related debts, and if you want to throw in student debt, you, you certainly are free to do that as well. But basically, you rank them from the lowest dollar amount to the highest dollar amount. And you just list them all out um, in plain sight so you can see all the debts that you owe. And then you start with the, the lowest one, and you do everything you can. This is an idea that Dave Ramsey came up with. Um, you do everything that you can. You sell something that you have, or you take on a side job, and you go after that lowest one, that lowest amount, that $36 debt. When that's paid off, you go to the next highest one, and you pay that one off. When that happens, you, you really do get a, uh, a feeling of freedom that you didn't have before, and a feeling of hope that you didn't have before, and you can just go through those debts one by one. That's um, one of the most effective ways. Also bringing people in on the process is an effective way of dealing with consumer debt. By the way, we are in March going to start a financial literacy class, a financial management class. And this is um, to learn more about money. How do you get out of debt? How do you save? How do you invest? How do you be generous? And um, we're still working out the details of that. But just so you know, that's one way that you can take this a step further. If you want to get rid of debt, the best way to do it is to have a team of friends cheering you on. But if you don't deal with this enemy, you won't be generous. Until debt is no longer having a grip on your life, you cannot operate in the freedom God has for you. That's enemy number two. Enemy number three, no plan for saving. If you don't have a plan for saving, you can't be generous. Saving today leads to generosity tomorrow. And if you don't have a plan for saving, if it's haphazard or if it's not happening you're not going to be able to operate in the, in the freedom that God has designed you to operate in. So the reason is that when you have money in the bank, you can, you can actually uh, stay out of debt. You, can't, if there's an emergency, you have to go to the emergency room. Maybe you, um, uh, or maybe your car breaks down. Uh, or maybe, um, maybe there's an appliance in your house that, that, you, ha- that you really have to keep running. Or maybe, you're, maybe your pipes burst. Um, if you don't have money in the bank, you'll go into debt. And if you go into debt, you'll be back in enemy number two. So it's one step beyond debt. Um, most of us don't understand or, or at least don't operate in the understanding that um, saving can give you freedom to, be, to not only protect yourself but protect people that you love. Be generous with people that you love, whether they're in your family or not. So we save for emergencies. We save for retirement when we're too old to work. We save for our children's education. We have children. Um, we save so that we can give. We save so that we can, uh, we can be free to give. If you don't have a plan, one easy way to do, one easy way to get started is to open up a savings account that is separate from your checking account and, and just designate 10% of your earnings go straight to that savings account. Do it, just automate it because it's that important. Automate 10%, just every paycheck just goes into your savings. That's one very practical way that you can begin to deal with this enemy of no plan for saving. And over time, that's going to accumulate, and you're going to find that you will have the potential to be generous with people. Now, there's other ways to save. That's one way to start. So, enemy number one, trusting in the grace of wealth more than the grace of God. That's an enemy. Enemy number two um, is um, lingering consumer debt. Enemy number three, no plan for saving. The last enemy, no plan for giving. No plan for giving. No plan for generosity. Most of us give 
in an emotional, one-time way. We see the pictures of the children, we watch the video, something viral comes up and we're like, I want to give to that, it's really great, it feels amazing. Most of us give that way. Um, and that's a perfectly legitimate way to give. I, I encourage you to c- continue doing that. Um, but most of us, similarly with, with giving as with saving, most of, us under, most of us overestimate the one-time gifts, the power of the one-time gifts. But we underestimate the power of thoughtful, intentional, pre-decided gifts over time. Where we think about it in advance, we think about the organizations that uh, that we should be giving to and the amount that we want to give. Most of us will give more and we will give more strategically and we will be more generous if we plan and pre-decide in the process. So one of the, one of the growth areas uh, that many of us have is to, to move from, from emotional one-time gifts to strategic gifts over time that has been pre-decided with amounts and percentages that have been pre-decided. Um, Here's a, here's a story about, about that happening. There was a guy who started a business, and um, he, he started the business out as a silver refining business. Eventually, it switched to plastics, distributing plastics. But in his lowest point as a businessman, he was discouraged because profits were down and, and uh, the cost of doing business was, was outpacing what he was taking in. And he was just saying, he was praying and saying, Lord, what, what should I do with my business? And he really felt very strongly called. Um, and again, this was specific to him and will be different for all of us, but uh, he felt, felt called to give, to give a majority of his business over to the kingdom of God. And the way that he did that, he, he decided, if I'm going to do that, I've got to decide now when I'm only, I think he was making $14 a week was his income. I've got to decide now that that's going to be the case for, for my business. And I'm, and I'm going to make it legal. And <laughs> so... He found a lawyer, tried to make that legal. The lawyer was like, eh, come back to me in three months. So he went to a different lawyer and was like, I want to give a majority of my business over to the kingdom of God. Can you help me find a legal way to do that? And the lawyer said, let's do this. Let's uh, incorporate your company, issue stock. 51% of the stock goes to a foundation. That foundation will give directly to missions work. And so, um, so he did that. He, he, he made it legal. 51% goes to the foundation, which gives to the kingdom of God. And over time, his business grew. And I'm not saying it was because he did that, but he was a good businessman, and he was doing what all of us are made to do, which is to be fruitful in the world. And his business began to grow. Um, some of you may be familiar with U.S. Plastics Corp. U.S. Plastics Corp., which uh, distributes plastics throughout the United States. Now, out of that decision that he made when he was making $14 a week, um, what happened was over time, uh, this company was able to give $120 million away to kingdom work, to churches and missions agencies. And as it stands right now, out of, the, out of what that funds in terms of missionaries, there are 40,000 people per year approximately that go from not knowing Christ to being in a relationship with Jesus. 40,000 people a year. Now, this is just one guy who made one decision and, 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 and in many ways left it in God's hands and he was extraordinarily fruitful. Most of us will be fruitful in different ways. The point is that he made a pre-decision in faith and, uh, and as a businessman and as someone who is participating in the kingdom of God, 
there was remarkable fruit. There was remarkable generosity. He spread his wings early on, even as a young little bird. And God was incredibly generous to him. And incredibly generous through him. He's still alive. He's in his 90s right now. I saw a video of him, and he's joyful. He's content. The favorite thing he loves to talk about is all of the things that are happening beyond his business, in his business and beyond his business. But he knows he's not taking any of it with him. So he's truly a man of joy. His heart has truly been freed from the love of money. Um, He has the money he needs, and he's generous with so much of it. Now, what would happen if God's generosity were to set you free? What would happen? What would happen if God's generosity were to set us free? I think, you know, it's a, for the bird who releases its wings for the first time, the bird's kind of surprised. Wow, this is more natural than I thought it would be. This is who I am. And generosity is who we are. It's the birthright that we've been given as individuals and as a church. We are meant to operate in freedom and to be generous. What would happen if we operated in that generosity? Um, the lessons and carol service that we had where we raised money for Uplift High School uh, would only be a foretaste of more opportunities to give away as a church, to give our time, to give our resources. God has designed us for it. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.